Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is the podcast where we want to help you think about all the many spheres and expressions of culture in a way that brings honor and glory to God and that proclaims the kingdom of Jesus. And we are coming up on Valentine's Day here, St. Valentine's Day, I should say, and joining me on the podcast this week and next is Reverend Dr. Michael Thiessen. Mike is Director of Development and Advocacy here at the Ezra Institute, as well as the Teaching Pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Alliston. And he's here with me today to talk about the place of marriage and sex in an eternal context, about marriage as a living picture of Christ and the Church, the relationship between men and women, and the responsibility of parents in discipling their children to love and serve the Lord Jesus. PSA, Mike is also going to be speaking at our upcoming Leadership Roundtable next week. That's February 13th, 2019. Mike will be with Joe Boot. They'll both be speaking on the topic of marriage matters. And if you want to register for that, we still have a couple of spaces available. You can go to ezrainstitute.ca or find us on Facebook or Twitter and register for that. That's going to be a great day. Your office is really bad for Wi-Fi. I mean for uh, cellular. Is it? I'm not going to be able to text Joe my like <laughs> my uh, reach out to a friend answers. You're not going to be able to text while oh man. What's the uh, what's the you what's supposed the, to be a millionaire? Phone a friend. Phone a friend. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to phone a friend <laughs> in here. You've isolated me, you've entrapped me. Yeah, this is it. This and is uh, this is the the exam. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. Phones down. Yeah. Uh, except for me cuz I got to read. Yeah, no, you go uh, ahead. Okay. Anyways, Mike, um, thanks for being here. I'm glad that we could do this. This is wonderful, Ryan. It's awesome to be with you. So we're here to talk uh, this uh, this Valentine's week, a week before Valentine's. We're here to talk about uh, about marriage and the family. And uh, I wanted to uh, to get your perspective on this in particular, just given your your history as a pastor, as an author, and someone who for whom this. Uh, this subject has really made up uh, a large part of your ministry. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, and I was thinking of, uh, I want to start with what I, th- I think is a, uh, a common, a common source of confusion or, uh, or um, puzzlement for a, a lot of people, uh, earnest and sincere people. I want to uh, read this passage, um, about Jesus talking to the Sadducees and get you to, uh, help us, uh, help us exegete and understand that a bit. So I'm just going to go ahead and read through that. This is from Matthew 22, starting at verse 23. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. All right. So maybe, where, do you want, where do you want to dive yeah, in? Yeah, maybe you can uh, 
maybe you can help us uh, talk, talk about some a bit of the context about this passage. Like, why why is this why was this such a such a gotcha question in the mind of the Sadducees? And uh, and then what did Jesus mean when he says that in the resurrection we're not marrying or being given in marriage? So I think um, there's a few things that we need to address because this is a multifaceted conundrum. Like it's a, it hits us on a historical basis and it hits us on a resurrection basis and it hits us on a personal basis. So on the historical basis, um, I think it would be pretty strange to our ears to hear that a brother should take responsibility for his um, brother's widow. And uh, the Sadducees are throwing a good God-given mechanism to care for women in their society, and they're throwing it under the bus to make a trite point against God or against Christ. Um, And actually... By extension, ultimately, they're they're treating God's good provision lightly, so it is against God. So, I think we have to be, you know, number one. When I read this, I'm thinking historically. Wow, is that a an even a possibility? And I I think we just have to recognize that yeah, it's a possibility for um, a woman to need to be taken care of by her brother-in-law, and that was a provision in the Old Testament law that. Uh, was meant for the safeguard of women. So historically, we shouldn't be offended by the question or we shouldn't be um, offended by God's provision for women here. Uh, The next part is that what we're really dealing with is the Sadducees trying to make an argument for no resurrection based upon a uh, a perversion of their understanding of a law. So they're basically saying we're taking this trite example and then we want to throw the entire idea of the resurrection out. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to be careful. This is, we're going to answer that personal question about marriage, but the bigger question of the text is that Jesus is categorically reemphasizing that we will be resurrected, that we need to have our lives, uh, in response to that very real day of the Lord where we will stand before him and let's not be trite with God the way that the Sadducees are because there is a real resurrection coming. So then that thirdly, we get to that personal question where I don't know about you, Ryan, but um, pre-marriage, pre-having sex on a regular basis, and then even as a young married guy, having sex in a good married relationship the thought of me not having sex for eternity as a younger man was almost, I caught myself a few times saying this, dear Lord, please don't come again until I get to have sex. Right. I think, I think a lot of young men, maybe uh, young women as well want to have that intimate experience. Uh, guys are, we're driven by it. So I think it's probably more of a weight for us. Um, then when you're a young married guy having sex, you're like, Lord, how is it possible that it could be in your plan that I would spend eternity kind of 
knowing who my wife is, but not my wife and not getting to experience this sexual bliss. And if we're really being truthful, we kind of like the Muslim promise of martyrdom where we get, as guys, we get to go to heaven and uh, get 70 virgins for the rest of eternity, right? Like if we're being sincere about how much that drives us. So this is a this is a sincere question on a personal level that if we're being honest, I think a lot of us ask. Let me give you my older man answer now and my Bible answer. So it's funny how those two answers they do. And let me tell you, let me do that by just telling a quick story. I was driving home from Chicago with a friend of mine. Uh, he's a heritage prof. And um, we were driving home. We had been away from our wives for a week. And we just couldn't wait to get home. For all that that meant, their friendship and, and, and the intimacy that we were looking forward to. And I remember him saying to me, Mike, I just can't wait to get to heaven to spend eternity with my wife and other women without the load of the sexual tension. And the way that he was just reflecting on how wonderful a sinless, plutonic relationship with the opposite gender would be. And at the same time realizing that our sexual drive never really is ultimately satisfied. Like there's, there's always a craving for more. That's probably the first time where we reflected for about two hours where we're in a traffic jam. And at the end of that conversation, I said, you know what, based upon the amount of arguments that we have, the amount of missed expectations that we have in marriage, the amount of times where I feel like I'm using my wife just for her body because I've got this drive. That was the first time in my life where, and I was about just about 40, hmm. where uh, I said it really makes sense that God in his wisdom, and here we see clearly in his teaching, that God in his wisdom would create in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, there's no more need to procreate. There's no, no, no more need to produce godly offspring. They're there. Uh, the Lord has his goal of multiplication completed where now we get to spend eternity with that tension removed. And so, you know, what Jesus is teaching us here is that our ultimate uh, final uh, inheritance and our ulti ultimate final uh, enjoyment of his creation is not going to be based upon a lot of uh, any need for sexual fulfillment. And I, I think if we were to go to even older than men than I, um, who are already experiencing this uh, with their wives in their later years where the drive is a little bit less, I've heard a number of senior men uh, reflect on how wonderful the friendship develops between them and their wife when um, sex isn't such a load. So Jesus is teaching us here that we are going to spend our time in eternity living in a uh, with an eternal uh, resurrection body that is imperishable and a gender but not the sexual ten, uh, tension between males and females because we won't be looking for relationships like that.
Right, right. No, that's uh, that's interesting. Sorry, did you want a short answer? Um, like I'm that not... that ship has sailed. Yeah, I was <laughs> no. going to say, yeah, like. Uh... No, no, that was uh, that was helpful. No, I I asked you to uh, to exegete. And, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I think you know me well enough that that's going to be a hard thing. To yeah. <laughs> no, that's no, great. appreciate that. Um, how do we um, how do how do we square uh, this kind of teaching with uh, with the the other biblical texts that refer to marriage and the marriage relationship as the image and mirroring the relationship between Christ and his church. Yeah. So, um, of course there is no tension in the sense that one is a, uh, one is a, uh, an existence post-resurrection and new heavens, new earth. Sure. And one is an institution given to us pre, uh, pre the day of the Lord, right? The coming of Christ. So um, marriage is of extreme importance and uh, the friendship and uh, sexual intimacy and ongoing commitment of a husband and wife um, are a profound gift to us uh, and to our children now as we await that time. So here's the, here's the link, or it may not even be a link. It might just be a total separate issue. But um, have you ever been baptized, Ryan? Yes. Did you ever take the Lord's table? Yes. Those are given to us as living pictures. When I am baptized, I feel the water rushing over my immersed body. And I can, in full understanding, grasp the idea that I have been cleansed from head to toe. Um, I can grasp the idea that I have been buried with Christ and that I will ultimately be glorified with him, right? Um, I, when I, when we partake of the Lord's table, when I think of his body given for me and I ingested and I've broken up unleavened bread or the loaf that you guys use or whomever, um, I, I can understand the great sacrifice that Christ made when he went to the cross. And then I can also understand his blood being shed for us with the piercing of the nails. And I'm ingesting it. I'm, I'm, so it's a living picture. It's a, it's a, it has sent, it includes, it involves my senses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have a loving husband who lays his life down for his wife, it is a living picture of Christ. This is where when we get into the battle, when we join the rest of the world and we pit the sexes against each other, where men and women are somewhat, where there's this struggle for power and there's this, uh, this, um, this demand for equality that embedded in the demand is a little bit of the, de- de- you know, the dim what's it like the demeaning of the other sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we, you we, can't, uh, you can't get yourself 
up but by except by pushing the other one down right and and when we join the world in doing that we, what we do, what we miss is the voluntary choice that i have as a male and the voluntary choice that my wife has as a female to be a living picture for our children so when my kids say what was it like that jesus died on the cross for my sins they should be able to look into my life and see the way that i lay my life down for my wife and say oh that's what it looks like in a in a in a, a different way, in a less perfect way, in a not a one-for-one one way, but they should see it clearly. And so when we as husbands serve our wives as Christ served the church, as Paul exhorts us to in Ephesians, our kids have no, they're not confused. What, what does it look like to be sacrificial like Jesus? Well, first of all, I can read my gospels and see that's what it looks like. And then second, I can look to the most, one of the most intimate relationships I have and see in my father, what he does for my mother. And then, you know, shoe on the other foot is when women voluntarily submit to their husbands, when they voluntarily submit to an equal, when they voluntary submit to an authority that doesn't demand authority isn't exercised over her as a might and force but she voluntary volunteers herself to submit to an equal partner who has been given a a role of authority in her life the kids go, well, what, what does it look like to live in, in the community of the church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I know what it's like to submit to my elders or the elders of the church. I know what it's like to submit to my uh, friend who has asked me to correct my behavior. I, I look, you know, I know what it's like to feel threatened about maybe being a, a doormat and just trusting Christ to turn the other cheek. I know what that looks like because my, my mother voluntarily puts herself under the leadership of my dad. And, you know, I've pastored long enough to just, you, you see it in kids all over the place. If you have a domineering woman or an oppressive father, they are usually able to get compliance out of their kids, but they don't ever seem to be able to get through the truth of the beauty of what it looks like to live as the church. So a kid from a family whose father refuses to serve but dominates tends to have a child who is combative in the church because they don't know how to get along with others. And almost the exact same product happens with a domineering woman where every person who wants to exercise authority over them, then it becomes interpreted through this lens of, conflict or martyrdom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you uh you brought up the uh the issue of kids and raising kids and i guess like that, that's a uh that's an ordinary and good part of the marriage relationship um can you can you just say a little bit more about sort of about the family like the uh the immediate family like husband wife mother father and child um what uh like what 
what role, what's the God-given biblical understanding of the family and its place in society? Yeah, so um, I'm going to be speaking on this next week at, at Heritage College and, and, and a little bit here at our Ezra event. Mm-hmm. I've been pondering on this, and, and the, the question I have that you know, I'm going to walk people through a little bit is, is what institutions did God ordain? You know, did he ordain my football club? Like, did he ordain Manchester City Football Club as my prescribed tool of character development and training? And I, I, I use... He gave uh, us Arsenal. Okay, pardon? He gave us Arsenal. Yeah, that's right. He gave us <laughs> Arsenal. And I, I, I use soccer... Uh, in a sports team as an example, because, you know, I would say a lot of parents right now say, well, what do, what do my kids need? Well, they need to be involved in ex- ex- extracurricular experiences where they have an opportunity to just shape their character. And I'm not against that. You, you know, my kids are all involved in sports on one level or another, but what I do find is that we are filling in that blank with a lot of things. Like what institution did God, did God create? in order to shape good, virtuous, carefully thinking, excited, eccentric, you know, you put in whatever, whatever vision you have for your kids that's included with godly. And we're filling in that blank with a lot of things, you know, school, church programming, uh, sports teams, uh, piano lessons like we're filling that blank when the the number one institution that was given to nurture children is the family and uh, so the answer to that is is what institution did god create to be the center of discipleship for my children it's my home Mm -hmm. and so when a you know when mom and dad are living out they're preaching those nonverbal messages they're preaching those nonverbal sermons to their kids by just living as a servant leader husband and a um, equal submissive respectful cheerleading wife uh, and then they're taking the time to utilize the opportunities they have their kids to do you know teaching moments as we're Right, so Deuteronomy six four, you know, uh, talks about as we get up, as we go along our day, when we go to bed, we're impressing the things of God on our kids. Well, no one has that opportunity, like, to do that as often and as in a, in such a meaningful way as we do as parents. So, um, the more I can impress upon my children the things of the Lord in those ongoing daytime, nighttime experiences, um, my kids are transformed in a way that no one else can do it. And, uh, you know, that's one of my biggest passions is as parents need to reclaim their responsibility. I think, uh, I think there's evidence out there that parents are not having spiritual conversations with their kids. You know, we, we, we see a news article and our kids hear it how do we help them interpret it we see a sunset we see a tree being chopped we see a tree being planted like every opportunity 
We see a person who's homeless. We see a person who needs Jesus. We see a person with another worldview. Every opportunity we have is a a possibility for us to reclaim that moment and uh, in a day-to-day, ongoing, reinforcing way, train our kids. So that's the importance of family. And both parents and the church need to figure that out again. You know, you know that I'm a little bit hard on pastors with our view that send your kids to us and we'll we'll change them. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think we've fallen into that more than we'd like to admit at times. You know, Christian schools the same. We have to be very careful to help our families take up this responsibility. Um, yeah. I just, I, I like, uh, I like the way you, you put it in terms of discipleship. Um, I heard, uh, and this, this, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot cause I got a, a baby at home, but, uh, somebody said once like when, for the, those early years, like you're, you're actually, you're, you're in the place of God to your child. Like you've, uh, he, he literally can't move or eat without, without his parents. Like, yeah. And I, I'd probably be careful of that level of language, but it is, it is, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can come up with a, with a better phraseology, but yeah, the language we are in the, stark. we are, we are, uh, we are certainly a living, breathing example of the love of the Father, mm-hmm. the sacrifice of the Son, and the empowerment of the Spirit, right? Like, we are created in God's image. And so, yeah, we, we are certainly those image bearers to our children. Or we need to be. And if we're not, then we're off mission for our home. But it creates a tension, right? And it creates a tension even within our churches. Uh, We, for a long time, have given a lot of credence to over-educating, over-stimulating, over-projecting onto our kids. And so we have, you know, this whole idea that the family needs to slow it back down and get its priorities right creates a lot of you know honest to goodness tension for everyone involved in ministry so um how, how did you do it how like how did, <laughs> how did you should have my wife here before you ask me that question do you want to call your wife we'll, well see if we can get cell service my wife is literally <laughs> in Turks and Caicos without me right now to escape her family. <laughs> so we should probably have that interview when she gets back. Um, when you're saying like, how do, how do we do it? Like, um, I think there's just like, if you're talking about the, well, let's talk about marriage first. You know, I, I deeply believe that marriage is three things. I've already kind of hinted at it earlier. Marriage is a sincere friendship between a husband and a wife Uh, we got to be always nurturing that friendship. Um, I I believe it's highly um, important to both men and women um, that 
we have someone that we are intimate with and can trust on an emotional level. Um, I think that you, you have to work at, out the, um, the physical intimacy side of things. Um, for us guys, sexual intimacy bears a significant load. So even as our culture would walk around and say, sex is meaningless to guys, they, they'll have it with anybody. Um, part of that statement's true and part of that statement's untrue. The part of that statement that is true is that uh, men struggle with sexual temptation regularly because there is testosterone running through our body and we have to constantly guard ourselves from just going after any woman who we are attracted to. But the... Um, sorry, did I say that that was the untrue one or the true one? I think you said it was true. Yeah, that is... Okay. I mean, what does right. your experience tell you? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, so the true part is that uh, unchecked male testosterone can go after many women. The untrue part is that it doesn't have meaning. In fact, the reason why we pursue sexual intimacy so much is that it has an, a significant amount of load for us. So it's a love language it, that is very meaningful to us. So we have to be working on our friendships. We have to be working about on our sexual intimacy regularly. And then it is just all held together with ongoing commitment. So if we are, as a husband and a wife, working on those areas and in, in those areas, serving one another, leading and submitting and all of those types of things, uh, a marriage is going to grow and thrive. And then when it comes to the children, I just think it needs to be both family and church need to get it through our heads that we are our we are responsible for our children and we cannot outsource it and leave it to another. So those would be the things that I'd be encouraging any young couple or middle-aged couple to be working through. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.